In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 29. Joining me today is my savvy co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, yo, Mark. How you doing? Man, this has been a great week so far. Busy, but good stuff. And the weather, perfect. For Houston, yeah, it is perfect. <laughs> it's actually below 90, um, but above 60. So it's ideal weather for Houston. And we are actually sitting in the Smith & Burgess corporate office in Houston, Texas. And we have some guests, don't we, Patrick? We do. Sorry, we've got Stuart and Dick here um, for, with Smith & Burgess. Thanks for being here, guys. You're yep. welcome. Glad to be here. Yep, thank you. Looking yeah. forward to it. And so before we start talking about process safety, because Smith & Burgess is a process safety consultant, Dick, you and I talked earlier. You actually dated yourself when you first introduced me because you said you came from Amico. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. This is my uh, coming up to my 40th anniversary, April 25th, 1977, walked into a refinery for the first time in my life. What was it like in 1977 in a refinery? It was a lot different than it is now. Yep. <laughs> it was like the Wild West, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When I started in uh, 1977, H2S detectors, for those people that are listening in, was uh, canary cages. The were can they really? The canaries were gone. I think they left in 75, but the cages were still there. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. So if, if our audience doesn't understand what you're talking about, um, H2S is hydrogen sulf hydrogen, what is it? Hydrogen yeah, hydrogen sulfide, very toxic uh, hazards to the health plus flammability issues. But yeah, yeah. it's a bad one. And, and they used to actually keep, when I say canaries, I mean real canaries, like the birds in a cage because the canary would succumb first. And so if you saw the canary die, you know, you need to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly the way they were used. Uh, similar to the way the mining industry, they use canaries also. Yeah, actually, I think that's where it might have been where it got its start. So, all right, yeah. so you walk in a refinery first time, 1977, the canary cages are still there. Um, what made you actually have an interest in the refinery? I think I've always had a quite a mechanical ability things, you know, so I grew up as a mechanic working in a gas station. So it always interested me, anything mechanical. Yeah. yeah. And people, if you hear a siren in the background, we apologize. There must be something major going on. Oh, you know what it is, Patrick? They know we're recording the podcast. They're probably they probably do. Crowd yeah. control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, they got the trail riders today. Maybe they're maybe a wagon overturn. Yeah, or something. <laughs> All right, so from 77, how long were you in that refinery? I was there from 77 till uh, 1995. 1995. So, you, man, you saw the industry change all around you. Yes, I did, yes. You I saw did. the refineries' processes and procedures change all around you. Yeah, I did. I, I actually spent uh, my career was based in the uh, chemical side of the business, but the refinery was around us. We were in, inside the refinery. Um, yeah, that's actually a good point to make. So in my head, I lump them all together as refineries, the chemical plants and refineries, because they look the same. But in, if you're in that world, you don't call a fuel refinery a chemical plant. You don't call a chemical plant a refinery. That's correct. There's yeah. two, two different animals. Yeah, so no insult there for people out there to actually know what they're talking about, because obviously I don't. Um, so uh, you, let's fast forward to now. You're now working for Smith & Burgess. And what does Smith & Burgess do? So Smith & Burgess, we're a process safety consulting company. So we, uh, we cover everything that's process safety related. The core business for us is pressure relief devices and flare systems. Yeah, and so if people don't know what process safety is, what is process safety? Process safety is, by definition, 
making sure that all the processes that are operating, whether they're in the chemical industry or the refining industry, are operated in the safest manner possible. Right. So, so it's, it's actually making sure that the workflows, the work processes, all that sort of stuff is done in a way to keep everybody safe. Yeah. We always want to protect people and then uh, the environment also. Yeah, and, and the environment's a big one too. It's um, you know, a lot of people outside of oil and gas um, consider our industry as one that doesn't care about the environment. And I would counter and say we care more about the environment than almost anybody because we're all measured on it. We're all measured on environmental impact. And the truth is we don't want anybody to get hurt either. So, um, yeah, I, 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 by far, environment's a big part of this. So Dick, we, can I back you up a little bit? We, you talk about process safety. How does that differ from uh, personal safety? Well, the, the biggest difference is the, the process safety side of it looks at the processes and the equipment associated. Occupational safety is hard hats, eyeglasses, and things of that nature. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Smith & Burgess does a lot of work with a lot of big companies out there. We've talked about this while we're at lunch. Um, but one of the things I find surprising is that a lot of times y'all will get calls because the facility will either realize it has a problem or they'll fail some type of audit or inspection and they need help. And But a lot of that is driven because of the people that initially installed whatever their equipment or the process just didn't do it correctly the first time. That's correct. Yeah, that happens quite often. Yeah, which, which if you think about it, Patrick, it's kind of scary that these companies, big companies, are paying to get work done, and then they have to come back and have somebody basically, I guess, fix it so that it's safe for, for both their people and the environment. Well, and coming back after it's already been in operation, they're actually using the equipment, using the processes, and they're putting themselves at risk. Yeah. yeah. So, Dick, do y'all actually get involved in that part, too, like the audit part of it? Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. We do process safety management audits and uh the risk management plan, which is the EPA directive, we do those audits also. Yeah, so if a company wasn't sure if what they had was operating in a safe manner, y'all could actually come in and audit the equipment and the processes and come back and tell them with a reasonable degree of certainty, yes, you are, no, you're not, and here's what you have to worry about. Yeah, we support, there's, you know, 14 basic elements for the process safety management system that's in place with the OSHA directive, and we support all those. Some of the, some of the elements we support more than others, but, but we have a, uh, we offer a full complement of just about everything. So on, on that same note, when do y'all usually come in to engage with a, a client? When do they bring you in? We... We perform services at any part of a project, whether it's a new construction, a design issue, or design reviews, typically. We also spend a great deal amount of time with the existing facilities that are currently operating because the process safety management program requires you to maintain continuity of your process safety system, so it mandates five-year reviews for some of the processes. So we get into it from all different aspects. And then, of course, the worst side of it is when we have to go in to correct problems or incident investigations or some study that needs to be done because of an incident investigation. I guess that was more my question. When, when do they actually, I know what you, what you do for the clients, but when do they realize they need to engage your services? Two things usually trigger it. Usually they'll do an internal audit themselves or they'll be subjected to a, a regulatory audit and that will point out to them that they have an issue or it's an incident or an upset or something along that line that will trigger them to call us right. for not support. The, not the best time to, for y'all to come in for incidents. Not the best time, All correct. Right. Yeah, and so you're talking about a lot of big government regulatory bodies. You're talking about OSHA and um, uh, Bessie, and I mean, there's a whole EPA. I mean, there's some big government organizations. If, um, if a company is 
in violation. I mean, we go about not talking about just the environment and people's physical safety, but you're talking about fines. Um, I mean, that stuff can get really nasty quick. Yes, it does. So from a government regulation side, that means uh, you have to know those regs. Y'all have to stay on top of that sort of stuff too. Yes, we do. Yeah, we spend a, we spend a lot of time staying current on all the regulations. And I don't mind telling you, uh, we assist in training the regulators. So that's something else that we've been afforded the opportunity to do. Man, what, what a, I mean, what a huge thumb up for what y'all do when the regulators ask you to come help train them. It's a win-win for both. It is, yeah. And even even in, even with like API, for example, and, and DIRs, which they all have individual subcommittees for all the different technical disciplines, we, we're represented um, on API and the subcommittee for pressure relief. So, you know, we help write those guidelines for a number of regs yeah. that, that everyone pretty much uses as 80% of their operating uh, motor operandi, I feel like. Yeah, as somebody that sits on the Houston API board, I can tell you right now, y'all have made it. When, the, when you're actually helping the API write standards, that, it, that doesn't get any better than that. And so that makes me think about the culture of what y'all do. Because, you know, when you come into a place and there's processes that need to be improved, one of the things that must be a struggle for you as a company is you actually have to change the culture of that company. That's always the hardest thing to change is that, that people element, right? So y'all, y'all deal in that world too? We don't, deal in, we don't deal in changing people's safety culture. Of course, we can judge a company's safety culture. That's easy to do whenever you walk in as a third-party independent consultant. But we take we take great pride in trying to influence safety culture in a facility just by the sharing of the safety programs and the things that we've learned uh, just through the attrition of the work that we're doing. So we, everyone in our company, we, we spend a lot of time trying to make everybody safer. Yeah. Well, so I guess the way I was going with that is that you're now you're starting about talking about things like change management. You know, that's always a difficult process to have to go through. Did you all touch that as well? Yeah. Other than really the MOC process within the process safety management um, element. Yeah, Stuart, if people don't know what an MOC is, what is it? So management of change. Management yeah. of change, yeah. yeah. So I'll give you my two cents. So we, we do get involved in change management, and basically it's, it's people like me that have been around for a long time. You know, we, we're passionate about process safety. We've seen a lot of what works and what doesn't work, and anything safety should be shared. Yeah, of so we absolutely. always get to share our experiences of what other people in the industry are doing. So as a third-party consultant, we provide benchmarking. Just, just being on a client's site, we provide benchmarking. So everybody grows. Uh, when we go in and do projects because it, it's not just what the client has and what they're trying to achieve, but it's all the knowledge and experience we have from everyone else that we see and what they're doing because there are people that are doing things better than other people. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's interesting. So we had an interview we did a while back, and I think it was with National Allwell, Patrick, and they were actually talking about how they give away safety information for free, even to their competitors, because they're wanting to make sure that everybody is safe. And I just, you got to love our industry when companies, big companies, think that way. That's just like what you alluded to. Yeah, that, you know, to be honest with you, that's spine tingling because safety should be shared. And, and they're, it's getting better. But, you know, in days past, uh, that was something that was just never touched on. Everything wanted to, everybody wanted to keep secrets but that that is starting to change it changes more and more i preach it a lot of people preach it but everything safety should be shared and the more we share the better everybody can be in the industry there's no doubt about it yeah it seems like there's a lot of chatter when something goes wrong because they have to report it those reporting agencies you know have a press release and you talk about somebody who was injured or killed on a facility we're getting better like you said but you don't see a lot of follow-up the root cause analysis the company actually coming out and saying 
you know, raising their hand. This is what we did wrong that got somebody hurt. I, I don't see that being shared as much as the all right, we messed up. Yeah, big big events, big events always uh, tend to get less public awareness brought out, and there's reasons for that, you know. But uh, for the most part, a lot of the industry now is is tracking their incidents, they're reporting their incidents, and the agencies that are investigating the incidents are being more open with documentation and things of that nature so so there's plenty of information out there and to be honest with you the information technology that we have now that we didn't have before makes it easier to share yeah so the cool thing you actually touched on technology it's one thing we we talk about for some reason on the show a lot is that the technology changes so the growth in new technology and technology's gotten cheaper in some ways is make what we do so much easier but if somebody just buys a system, a technology solution, without understanding what they're trying to fix, sometimes it can make things worse. Yes, for sure. And I've seen it a bunch where somebody high up in the company buys or gets sold some IT system, right? And they roll out through the rest of the company, but they don't actually involve the guys in the field and decision. And all of a sudden, you have a mess. Yeah, that happens quite often. Yeah. So from a process safety point of view, that means that y'all also have to stay on top of technology changes because your world's changing rapidly because of new technologies. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We're, t- we're talking earlier about process controls. I mean, that world has changed a lot. Um, it's um, One of the things that's interesting is that because of so much newer technology, so you know, the old ways it was all analog, all SCADA circuits. If you wanted to hack something, you have to physically drive out there, scrape the insulation off the wires. Now, with everything being connected to the internet, the bad guys can actually have m- multiple new ways to come in. And same way with process controls. You don't want to let a bad guy get a hold of some process control piece inside a refinery. I mean, it's, it would be horrible. Yes, it would be. And I, I haven't seen a lot of the uh, wireless technology in refineries and chemical plants yet. Offshore, it serves a good purpose, but uh, for the onshore facilities, uh, that doesn't seem to be too commonplace yet, but the the probability of people hacking into systems does exist. Yeah, and so do y'all, I mean, that's, if y'all aren't touching that now, at some point that's going to be something y'all will have to be aware of, right? I don't know that we'll touch on it. but <laughs> um, Maybe, I mean, I, I kind of got a bit of a background in the industrial control system, cybersecurity kind of industry that's kind of blown up the last few years. And for sure, I, I definitely think that that's something just the last five, six years, we've kind of seen it, and it's a massive threat, and, and these, these hacks are happening all the time. More often than not, it's through just poor security protocol, like flash drives. You know, vendor comes in to update control system, puts a flash drive in, and it's got 80,000 viruses on it that haven't been caught by the, the last virus check. Yeah, we shared a few examples window. of that happening, that same thing. just yeah. You don't think about a flash drive as a flash drive, like a pen. That's it, and, and definitely I know how the, the cybersecurity world they're looking at it. They're saying, well, actually, this is the next warfare, if you like. You know, it's, it's, it's much easier to take control of a plant and blow that up or use that as leverage. I've only seen one, and I can't remember who it was, actually had a quarantine computer. If you wanted to use a flash drive in their facility, you had to submit it into this quarantine computer. Mm -hmm. It would flush everything out, and then, all right, you're you're free to use that. There is is one of the major oil companies in town that uh, will not access, they cannot access any flash drives unless they have uh, encrypted flash drives. And a lot of people will actually, you know, put uh, blocks in the ports, or some I've seen people them epoxy. The I've seen them epoxy before yeah. too, um, and that's yeah, that's just the world we live in, I guess. Yeah, and so you talked earlier when we first started talking about flares. What is a flare? If our artist doesn't know what a flare is, well, a flare is a controlled device that burns tail gas of some kind. Okay, and anybody that's ever driven by a chemical plant or a refinery always sees them as that glowing candle, forty-five feet in the air, <laughs> or whatever they are. 
So they're there, they're there as a control device uh, to make sure that anything coming out is controlled mostly for environmental reasons, but from a process safety standpoint that we look at, it's a, it's a controlled release from a, something that's going wrong inside of a facility, and that is a safe way to exit that wrong situation that's happening oh interesting so i've always known what a flare was but i never put the pieces together so literally they're venting something that could be hazardous but if you burn it it's now less hazardous or not hazardous at all so it's a a way to actually deal with whatever that thing is venting yeah flares are flares are regulated by the epa and um, i guess osha probably regulates them too i'm not real up to date on that standard but flare devices are there for a reason and they have to perform at a specific level of perfection so to speak like 100 percent efficiency <laughs> to make sure that anything that is coming out is destroyed in some manner or fashion wow i, I just never i mean i just never thought that as being a, a safety uh device but it, uh, yeah it makes perfect sense to me and then there's probably a whole whole bunch of uh, process safety around flaring because that's not something you want to let get loose you know by itself yeah, there, there's a there's a lot of things, Mark, that have happened over the years. And just to turn back the history a little bit, since you got an old guy here on this <laughs> microphone, um, flares in the old days, they were there just to use. When anything went wrong, you just put everything to the flare. <laughs> and what happened was everybody was putting everything to the flare, and we ended up with environmental issues. We were avoiding putting process safety controls on the front end before it ever got to the flare system because we always had that out. So that is something that has really, really changed over the past 30 years of how we use flares, how we monitor flares, and when we use them only as a safety device versus they become, you know, just the back door that you open up and throw something out. Yeah, Dick, that's fascinating. So um, I know that uh, burning stuff off can't always be the best solution. So in the old days, they would feed everything to the flare and just hope for the best yeah that's that basically really was how it was yeah the the flares were there and uh, when all else failed you just put it to the flare but now we control and try our best to control anything going to the flare and the flare still has to perform under the right guidelines yeah so um this means you'll also probably have to touch things like maintenance right i mean all that stuff has to be maintained has to be documented um do y'all get involved in that like sort of stuff we uh don't get overly involved in the mechanical integrity. That's called the mechanical integrity side, which is maintaining the flares and things of that nature. Uh, we do support that service some. Uh, it's not our core business by any stretch. Yeah. Um, so let's actually go from the maintenance of the existing equipment. What if somebody's building a new facility? Can y'all get in like in the very beginning, like the feed stage of it? Yes, absolutely. 100%. We like to get involved in the feed stage because that's the best time to evaluate the process safety. And you know what's funny? Um, I know what feed is. I can't for life remember what it stands for. Front end engineering and design. Yeah. So it's basically when you start designing a new facility before the first shovel is used, y'all can actually come in and review their engineering designs to make sure that process safety is integrated properly. Absolutely. And that's the ideal situation. And that is something else that's changed drastically over the years as the approach that we put now into process safety in the front end engineering and design or the feed stage. And it wasn't like that before? Uh, not as much, no. Uh, people would sit around a table and do their front engineering and design, and the engineers would just apply their engineering principles and come up with a, what they thought was the best options. And then when you get someone that's trained and, and uh, experienced in the process safety aspect, which is evaluating everything from a hazard standpoint and a relief standpoint, uh, we find that, you know what, 
some of these designs just don't hold water these days. So No way. An engineer <laughs> doesn't know how to take advice from somebody else outside of his engineering world? I would have never guessed that. Well, they're like pit bulls. You set them on a task. We need to build a facility to do this job. Their, their afterthought is the safety And process. I don't want any of the hate mail from engineers. I love engineers. I have a lot of good friends. But the thing I find is funny is if you have a mechanical engineer, everything's designed from a mechanical engineer's point of view. You have an electrical engineer, everything's and th- but they don't talk to each other. Um, but, but the industry's changed also. So we, tr- we try to do front-end engineering safety better. You know, it's, it's, we always want to focus on inherent safe technology and inherent safe design, and that's, that's the driver. And especially in, the, in these 2,000 years, that's really the driver. It's being mentioned in a lot of the new regulations. We re- really want to look at the inherent safe design s- side of things. Just to give you a little history lesson here, uh, compressor systems, offshore compressor, sy- compressor systems, as an example, three stages, the first stage suction pressure is usually low, the third stage discharge is usually the highest, and in the old days, 30 years ago, we always took the discharge on recycle all the way back to the first stage suction, and there was always an overpressure system that would occur or could occur. And now, new technology, uh, new ways of doing things, and focusing more on process safety will change our piping specifications so that that front suction piping would be rated at the same pressure as the third star discharge discharge piping gotcha so that's something that's just in my career that i've seen change just something as simple as that so how is this knowledge capture and transfer taking place you come in or somebody comes in and identifies process safety problem or improvement phase how is that getting transferred over to another facility owned by somebody else at the feed stage to improve the next facility coming online you can only hope it's just from research papers that are written or white papers and and uh sharing of information yeah and so i kind of want to stay in this because there's a big point i want to make here in our industry especially here and in europe um, a lot of these new facilities get awarded typically by procurement teams and they get awarded to the big epc engineering procurement construction companies right but the epc's core competency is not process safety right so they try to do their best Uh, But because it's not their core competency, if you're a company out there building a facility, it would make a lot of sense to bring somebody like like Smith & Burgess on on the very beginning, if even just to overlook what the EPC engineers have put together, because y'all may spot stuff that nobody else would spot. That's correct, and that's the service we offer. You know, we're that extra set of eyes, and we're much more up-to-date on really what's going on in the industry. The EPC contractors, they do, and they do a good job. They really do when they have the internal resources to do that work. But as you said, Mark, it's not their core business, so they don't support that 100%. And it's just much more beneficial when you have the third party or the third set of, second set of eyes come in to look at a design to make sure that it really is up to the best possible process safety standards that you can apply. Yeah, and because they're regulatory bodies that make sure that you are there, if you don't do it on the front end, you're going to do it eventually, but it's going to be way more expensive to come after you've built an entire plant to retrofit stuff than if you would have caught it in the very beginning of the engineering stages. Yeah, you can you can, you can can establish process safety a lot of different ways, but if you do it on the front end and get the inherent safe technology, the best available technology that you can on the front end, then you'll save yourself in a lot of time and expense on the back end. If you build it not up to the, to the best standards, you can still protect it, but you're going to have a lot of extra instruments that are a lot of extra controls to try to catch the upsets where if you spend the money and spend the time and have the reviews on the front end 
do it right the first time, right? That's the yeah. old standard. Mm-hmm. So how good are these regulatory bodies getting that they have to approve the design and give it the, the go-ahead? Are they catching a lot? No, regulatory agencies don't really get involved in design. No. Um, no, not in, not in the United States. No, that's definitely a European thing. Yeah. For sure. The safety case, you have to present that to Absolutely, the HSE, yeah. for example, in the UK. Yeah. They review what it is you're putting to them. They may ask more questions or they give you, the, I guess, the license to operate. So it's, um, God, and think about this, Patrick. So you just rattle off, Stuart, a big difference between doing business here and doing business in Europe. But Smith & Burgess does work all over the world, right? Which means that you have to understand the different rules and regulations and requirements in the countries that you're operating or your clients are operating in. Yeah, and, and the company guidelines as well. I mean, these companies have spent a lot of time and money putting together their own guidelines, which, you know, when they were initially put together, they were seen as best practice and in line with best practice in the world. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of it as well, is looking at the regulation, but also looking at the company guidelines, making sure that whatever's been designed or whatever you're designing actually complements both. You know, another thing that just popped in my head, because this our industry, regardless if it's upstream, midstream, downstream service, or whatever, every almost everything we do is a project, right? And projects have deadlines and deliverables and milestones for a reason. Usually it's a financial reason. So if I think about what y'all do, the other thing that you actually help um, is you actually help them hit those project deadlines because you catch stuff up front with process safety that if they catch midway through the process may delay the whole project. Yes, that's that's for sure. We do a lot of work with, especially in the PSV and the flare systems studies that we do. Uh, we usually get called in very early on before turnarounds are scheduled because that's when the companies really need to do all the work is during those those multi-year turnarounds and they get us in early so we can give them the list of things that we find that need to be corrected or changed or modified before um, the turnaround actually happens so they can get it into their schedule, so to speak. Yeah, two things. What's PSV? Process safety vent. Okay. And then what is a turnaround if people don't know refineries? Uh, turnaround. So yep. that's when they bring the refinery down. You know, it's usually on a three or four or five year cycle, maybe even longer. Uh, they actually shut the facility down, the complete refinery, or different portions of it if they can stagger it. They open all the equipment. They inspect all the equipment. They make any changes that they can't make when the refinery is running because refineries uh, aren't designed or intended to be shut down for a four-hour little product switch or something along that line. You know, it's a big deal. So yeah, it's so it's planned maintenance. It's a scheduled planned maintenance or repair or upgrades. But the thing is, the, every refinery in the world wants that turnaround to be as short as possible because they're losing money right because they're not producing product and so if you do your process safety work before the turnaround you can actually shorten that turnaround time yeah and refineries spend a lot of time and effort to do exactly that mark that's yeah. what they do uh, they're years in years in advance of their turnaround schedules most refineries know today when their next turnaround is going to be and they're already thinking about that and the flip side of that though is something goes wrong they have unscheduled downtime which is catastrophic to them financially so once again, if, you, if you're looking to do process safety, make sure you do it during the scheduled turnaround. If not, it may bite you in the butt. It may be unscheduled downtime. Absolutely. That's for sure. Is the industry just trying to do the bare minimum to get by, to meet the regulatory uh, requirements? Or are they asking you to help them go above and beyond because safety is number one? And I'm not just talking about your clients. I'm talking about the industry as a whole. Well, I think the industry as a whole uh, – has greatly improved the way it was are they are they doing what they need to do just to get by no they're doing what they need to do to satisfy the regulation the best that they can i i think i really do believe that it you know we regulate for a good reason 
the OSHA regulates to avoid people getting hurt. The EPA regulates for people getting hurt and for environmental. Uh, there's a there's a reason they exist. There's a reason that they come in and audit you. Uh, it all serves for the better purpose of everyone and the climate, uh, environmental climate. So those two things being said, I think the industry as a whole does a really good job. And on, on the flip side of that, on the regulatory side, do you see more regula- regulators coming in to actually improve the facilities they're, they're going in to inspect? Or do you still have the ones that will not leave the facility unless they can write something up? Because those guys used to be out there. Well, I don't think I don't think a inspection from a regulatory agency is ever going to come out without some sort of finding. Not that they have to dig for one; they're always going to find something. When I do process hazard analysis work for clients, we're always going to have a recommendation of some kind to correct something, or repair something, or fix something. It's just a given that's going to happen. I don't think the regulatory agencies have vendettas. I, I think they're out there to do the best job that they can do. You know, you have to realize, too, that they're only funded so far. They can only do so much, so they have to have different programs in place that they can come out and really audit the way they want to audit by a program they want to use. A good example is the chemical NEP audits that are coming up. That brings us to this week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag. This week's winner is... Kevin Kopus. He's an HSE analyst over at Hornbeck Offshore. Congratulations, Kevin. Your bag is on its way. And if you want to win one of your own awesome Red Wing offshore bags, there's no purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details at redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. So, Stuart, I have a question for you. Now that I understand better what y'all do, right, and the scope and the size of the companies and y'all's reach, this means a lot of times y'all have to get a phone call and it's frantic and they go, can you get some guys out here tomorrow, even though it's halfway across the country? Yeah, it's it's how a lot of our accounts started in the early (laughs) days, you know, it's uh, something's going on with the flare and, you know, you could be with your family or something at the weekend, but, you know, that's the nature of the beast in consulting and, you know, we just, okay, where's the nearest airport? Let's get on a plane, let's go and look at this, let's try and speed up that process of getting you back on stream. So we've got a number of examples where we've done that and we now, you know, five, six, seven years on, we've got great relationships with these clients and they trust us with everything. So, uh, you know, as a sales guy, it's just just great when you've got a company culture that can do that. Um, Well, they look at you as as somebody that helps them, not a a vendor. Yeah, absolutely. It's a totally great place to be as a sales guy. That brings up a question I wanted to ask. Have y'all ever done a review or you didn't have to be at the facility, they, they send you all their documentation, and you found something that made you say, stop, whatever you're doing right now, you need to stop, and we'll be over there as soon as we can. So I have had occasions when I've done process hazard analysis for some facilities where we have had issues come up, and we found things that were wrong, and part of the risk analysis that I do, which is called process hazard analysis, uh, we're mandated if we find something that is an unacceptable risk that we do stop. And we have stopped my project, and I have sat there and assisted them in developing emergency management and change procedures to correct issues. Uh, We have stopped my process hazard analysis and made a phone call to the facility. Uh, In one particular case, it was offshore and said, by the way, you need to go lock this valve right now. Yes, that occurs. On the PSV side, from the pressure release valve side, we have had clients call us when they have had issues and when they failed in some form or fashion with the pressure relief and they didn't understand it and things didn't go the way that they planned, 
uh, we have had those 2 a.m. phone calls that says, would you please be here tomorrow morning? And we always respond. So that's, yep. that's great to hear as you think about stop the job. And Mark and I have talked about it before that even the lowest guy on the totem pole is allowed to stop the job. But to, to think a third party is there doing work for them and they're raising their hand and saying, you shut down your facility right now, but we're going to fix something, even though it's your project. Yes, we have to. Yeah. We have to because process safety is first. We're third party consultants, but you know what? It's all safety. So that's just the way it works. So you've also probably had the situation where somebody calls you and they're frantic. It's like, we're going to have an un, unscheduled shutdown by Wednesday if you can't help us fix this problem. You have three days, right? We have three days to try to fix this. Yeah. So on the pressure relief side, uh, particularly, we take great pride in helping the client the safest way we possibly can with all the options we have. And that's one of the unique things about this company is, you know, I'm the old guy here, but we have a lot of young people here, but we have a lot of experience in between. And we're able to, and we make, we take great pride in helping clients solve quick, get quick solutions to solve, solve problems quickly and safely. Yeah. Stuart, so, something surprising. We, uh, we don't actually have your uh, marketing guy on the microphone. Oh, he's sitting in the room. <laughs> sitting in the room. Yeah. Y'all have y'all's own podcast now yes we do yeah. yes we do and so what's the podcast about it, it's about a number of different topics dick you've you've done you've done a few right on the, the psm elements yeah we had uh, uh we last year we taped some podcasts on the process safety management side of things so there's 14 elements of process safety we have podcasts that we have available on several of the different um, process safety elements which is the process hazard analysis, management of change, mechanical integrity, process safety information. There's 14 of them, and anybody listening to this probably knows what those 14 are by heart. Yeah, and so how much do y'all charge to listen to this? That's no, free. It's, it's, it's all there. It's, it's all for the, the greater good. Yeah, so, so that is awesome, right? So y'all are giving away good, useful, valuable information for free to help other people understand things so they can operate safer. Yeah, and it's, it's an ongoing project, too. You know, there's, there's, as I mentioned, the chemical, National Chemical Emphasis Program, the NEP, that uh, OSHA's reinstituting from, the, you know, it was originally around in 2011 or 12, and they reinstituted that program. So we have a podcast coming up for that. Uh, there's many, many different topics. There's, there's so much to talk about uh, with process safety. Uh, the list is endless. I like what you're doing with it because it's more like a training series in podcast form where you'd have to go to a class and spend a few thousand dollars for that kind of training. But y'all just you're throwing it out there. You're providing value to the industry. It's great. Yep. Yeah, so, Stuart, if people wanted to listen to the podcast, where should they go? They should actually head over to our website. We've got okay. uh, www.smithburgess.com. Dot com. So that's S-M-I-T-H-B-U-R-G-E-S-S.com. And it's easy to navigate. If you go onto the research page, you'll find lots of papers, presentations, case studies, podcasts. Um, really, there's a whole, you know, whatever it is you do, you should be able to find something of their interest in that. Yeah, y'all put out more content than I think I've seen in any industry organization or company websites. And it's all free. I mean, I think 99%, I think uh, uh, your marketing guy said there was a couple things behind the firewall, but everything else is right out there for anybody to come in, see white papers, case studies. Mm -hmm. Just if y'all are interested in, in this process safety topic, go there. You can get tons of free information. Yeah, there's a new one coming up on this chemical NEP that's going to happen. It's actually going to be a webinar on uh, March 22nd. So you can tune in for that. And I'm going to discuss the chemical NEP 
audits that are coming up from OSHA for chemical industry. And uh, I've had the opportunity to interview two of my clients who have already been subjected to this audit. So I've got some up-to-date information on really what the focus was because it's a different style and a different type of audit from and some OSHA. some real war stories from them. Huh? Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, and so Patrick, I'm sure we'll have links in the show notes so people can just click and go check. Yeah, all this absolutely. Good if you out. don't, if you uh, miss the the URL that Stuart rattled off there, we'll have links in the in the show for getting to their website, you know, subscribing to their uh, to their channel, and, and finding all their content because it's a lot of valuable content there. Yeah. So it's um it's about time for a Red Wing safety tip tip of the week, and uh, Dick, I think we're letting you do this. All right. Well, my safety tip of the week is for anybody out there working in the industry, whether you're in a chemical plant or a refinery, is the wedding ring. So the wedding ring is really nice and it looks beautiful, but it's really dangerous anytime you're in an industrial setting. So please remove your rings. Yep. Um, that, that means if you're wearing a glove, still take it off first, right? Still take it off. Absolutely. There's too many people out there with four fingers on one hand. Yep. It's, I mean, you don't want to see the end result of having that ring ripped off your hand. It is not pretty. It is not pretty. I yeah. have seen it. Me too, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Patrick, good time to talk about our LinkedIn group. If you're a listener of the show, um, we have a family out there on LinkedIn. It's all a gas global network group. It's easy to find. You just start typing OGGN. Uh, it's where we're going to make announcements um, that will not be on the podcast second. If you want to know where we're going to release announcements first, it'll be on actually our website, Patrick. What's our website? The oilandgashsc.com, and that's where we publish the podcast. It's expanding. We're going to start putting more articles out there, um, providing more value to the industry. Go find us there. Go find us on the LinkedIn group, Facebook. We've got Facebook Live. If anybody wants to watch us as we're recording, you can get a, a snippet of, of the show. Yeah, and it's uh, if you go to the website, make sure you uh, enter your, give us your email address. We've promised not to spam you ever. Um, but it's, it's a way for us to reach back out to our audience and let you know what's going on in our world. Speaking of stuff like that, Patrick, we need reviews, don't we? Yeah, we need some more reviews. Uh, we, we stopped talking about how Mark broke the feed a few <laughs> weeks ago, but we need some more five-star reviews on, on iTunes so we can you know, help your colleagues, your peers out there find us when they're looking for good oil and gas uh, podcasts. And I would say the same thing for the Process Improvement podcast that Smith & Burgess puts on. You know, Go there, leave them a review, let them know what you think. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me for two different things. One is they don't they don't know how to leave a review because it's Apple makes it a bit complicated. So Patrick, I have a link to a, a HubSpot article that literally takes you step by step on how to leave an iTunes review. The other thing is, and I can't figure out the rhyme or reason, but both of our podcasts I've heard this from different people, different parts of the world on different platforms, is that we stop showing up. And so my advice to anybody if you listen to the podcast and it quits updating. Um, unsubscribe from whatever platform you're using whether it's google plus or itunes or stitcher or whatever reboot your your device that you listen to it on and then resubscribe and it should fix that um so we talked about that our right, want to talk real quick give a big shout out to our on the road sponsor lee heck and harrison uh, they're a 2017 uh on the road sponsor they currently help over 75 percent of the fortune 500 oil and gas comp- companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce so if you got a workforce or if you have leaders and you need some help reach out to lee heck and harrison great little company and then patrick we're all over the place right process safety uh next week right is it next week no we just had process safety. Oh, we just did it's, process it's, safety. uh pogs is next week the process uh the i can't no remember. no no process no, safety process is safety is next week next process week. Yeah. next week yeah and then i we hope ha- it is anyway no, we're, yeah. we're going to the wrong event uh, the pipeline was last week <laughs> pipeline was this week <laughs> this week yeah. i was there yeah yeah you weren't invited Unfortunately, you'll get invited next time. Process safety. Then we have the Texas Open Innovation Conference in the end of March, SPE, HSE Conference in New Orleans, and then OTC. We're all over OTC, Patrick. We're at the private NOV shrimp oil. NOV shrimp oil, yep. and we're going to do some recordings from the floor. From it's the gonna floor. Be, it's going to be a big event. 
Yep. And so um, it's about time to wind things up. I just real quick, I want to thank um, both Stuart and uh, Dick for um, for coming on our show. Great story, a lot of background, got really deep in some good uh, process safety terminology. We talked about the website before for the podcast, but if people wanted to learn more about Smith and Burgess and, and, and actually reach out to you, the best bet is to go where? Same website? Same website, yep. yeah. And if nice. people wanted to learn more about you, Stuart, or more about you, Dick, uh, on LinkedIn? Yes, yep. yeah, Both. I'm Both on LinkedIn, there. and uh, I think my bio might be on that website, too. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll stick those no, those links in the show notes yeah, absolutely. as well. So if you would like Patrick and I to come speak to your trade association, your company, your conference, your school, uh, HSE meeting, or even if you have a gun club, we'll come do that too. Uh, reach out to Patrick and I. We'd be happy to share the details. Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, but uh, you, you mentioned the gun club, so I'm part of the IDC Houston chapter board of directors, and we're having our sport and clays tournament next week, which we haven't mentioned too much. But Oh, so that so people don't know this. Where does the money go, Patrick, that, they, that people use when they uh, uh, go participate in that? That goes to the um, Oilfield Christian Fellowship. And the Home Run Hitters, uh, two great organizations. They're both very strong in the oil and gas industry. Home Run Hitters, it's a, it's a bit of a, a confusing title, but they help some kids with some severe learning disabilities. They help those families out. It's a great charities. Yeah, so if, if you want to give something back and enjoy a good shooting event, go check out Patrick. Stick, make sure you stick a link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yep. Um, so now we're ready to get out of here? Yep, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. So we're, uh, I'm going to take you back to probably 1982. We had asked an employee at the chemical plant I was at to go visibly check the level in a reactor that was running uh, in operations mode. So we waited, and everybody was sitting in the control room, and about 30 minutes went by, and somebody asked if he had come back downstairs yet, and somebody said no. So they went upstairs to check on him, and he was physically trying to remove the bolts from a manway. And the, the, the bolts, you know, were like two inches wide. It was really a big manway, and he was trying to get the manway off because that he felt that was the only way he could check the level visually. Oh, I am so glad y'all caught him. In an operating reactor, and he was nicknamed Roger Manway after that. <laughs>